Analytics with Mike Lewis, the podcast where we talk about everything you need to know about sports analytics. Here's your host, Mike Lewis, marketing professor at Emory University. Okay, welcome everyone. Welcome to the Fanalytics Podcast, brought to you by the Marketing Analytics Center. My name is Mike Lewis. I am joined by Mr. Doug Battle. How are you today, Doug? Mike, I'm doing great. This weekend, my favorite team beat my least favorite team. That is the Georgia Bulldogs over the Auburn Tigers. Um, lots of weird news in sports, as always, which keeps it interesting in this position. And so, uh, John Gruden, of course, being the most recent strange NFL story, keeping things spicy. Do you think it's even strange at this point? It's almost like clockwork. You know, it's almost. You know, Urban Meyer's feeling better about the world yeah. as we speak. John Gruden. Okay, okay. So, a couple things on this. And, you know, obviously going to avoid the standard take, which has been, you know, covered ad nauseum. N- number one, emails from 10 years ago, you know, added to the list of, you know, texts from a decade ago or, you know, archived emails. There's something, <laughs> there's something disturbing about that. How, who's but, digging these up, by the way? Is it journalists or the former employees? I, I wonder, you know, I, I wondered about that, too. And the only thing I could spec I don't know that anything's come out, so this could be totally off base. But I know that, and I was about to say the, the R skins, but, yeah. you know, I, I think they've had a number of issues there, even beyond the naming controversy. <laughs> and there's been a number of... Con- controversies have led to investigations right so i wouldn't be surprised if there are a bunch of law firms that have pulled every email that that organization has ever sent and they found some maybe stuff irrelevant to what they're investigating but stuff that they you know could selectively release to the media yeah well along the lines of the r skins how about the fact that every employee for the r skins has emailed a term that is a racist term at some point in the last 20 years. So they're actually all probably trying to delete their emails going full Hillary Clinton over there in DC. Can you, de- can you delete anything? <laughs> no, I, right. I mean, I mean, apparently you can, <laughs> as we learned a few years ago, but, uh, when you're an NFL employee, I don't, I don't know that you can. I mean, I, I think you're a, but I think the case you're talking about, it, it appears that the only way to actually delete anything is to break the di- the hard drive into pieces with a hammer, right? I don't, I don't know. I don't know how it works. I'm honestly, yeah. um, I am kind of interested. I, I kind of want to get like a how-to book, like deleting emails for dummies, you know, just in case it's ever useful. Yeah. Well, okay. So beyond the carnage of this week for John Gruden, who is, has resigned. He's done. He's never going to do anything ever again. His only chance is Barstool Sports. That's his only chance. I don't even think they take him. No, I think it's got to be a darker part of the web than Barstool, even. Um, He'll be like but, you know, on what, the dark web. Yeah. John what do you think about the yeah the the John Gruden podcast? Perhaps <laughs> the what do you think about Raiders fandom in general, though? Because that is a fan base. So one of the things that's kind of interesting about this whole thing, and 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 look, I you know they're just hammering Gruden for racism, misogyny transphobia homophobia and their defense he didn't do a lot to uh help himself in that, <laughs> that well, but but gruden but the raiders fan base you know so going back to the 1970s and again so we've got this 
politics and you know we're we're kind of making light of it because i i think at this point politics has hit sports so much that frankly on some level it seems uh, you know it's just chaos it's the same we're just kind of politics is sports and sports is politics we were just talking about herschel walker for governor (laughs) or whatever senate yeah senate But but the Raiders fan base in the nineteen the Raiders were this wild band of essentially pirates. Yes, just win, baby. You know, it, Al Davis was the guy that if a, a player if a good player had been involved in criminal activity, Al Davis was going to take him. Mm-hmm. You know, a Jack Tatum. You know, these guys that were just violent. You know, just amazing violence on the field. Uh, Sort of the the opposite of the Dallas Cowboys in a way of the right. America's team of the nineteen seventies. The the Raiders also have, you know, they used to have, and I, I'm sure they're trying to recreate it in Las Vegas. The the what are, what do they call it? The hole, the black the hole, the, the black hole, yeah. right? Where and look, I've always wanted to ask you this. I mean, you were a member of the Spike Squad at Georgia. Is the inspiration for the Spike Squad is does that come out of the black hole and the I need to talk shoulder pads? I need to talk to the guy that founded it, but it's gotta be, right? Because they they might have had the whole shoulder pad with spikes thing, even. Um theirs are a little different, but I do recall seeing that as a child, and I know that the Spike Squad didn't originate till like two thousand twelve, I believe, or two thousand eleven, two thousand twelve. So um, I do think there, if if nothing else, certainly the fact that there's a bunch of grown men dr- dressed and painted up as scary as one can possibly look as a human being on that front row um, inspired the, the Georgia students to to make their own version. Absolutely. Well, but you guys seem to. Is, is there someone controlling the Spike Squad of Georgia? Because you guys don't look that frightening. Well, you're legitimately Raiders fans are terrifying. There was a time when the Spike Squad looked that frightening, and I have I have evidence of it on my phone, plenty of photos. But um, but yeah, it's um, can you include include one of those photos with the uh, with the podcast? Yeah, I can do that. I don't know if I you know whatever with the photographer. I don't know. They they make money off pictures of me. I can post their picture. Um, but. Yeah, it's changed for sure. I don't know what what happened, but at some point it went from like everyone trying to be the scariest looking person to everyone trying to just be like as goofy as possible. And so <laughs> there was some leadership change at some point. I don't know, but um, it's definitely not the intimidating group that it used to be. Nor does it rival uh, what what the Raiders are doing. And, and we're hoping that that changes at some point. But um, regardless, I have uh, no say in that. So, well, and and to keep going with the Raiders fans. So I, I've had, I'm not going to say run-ins with Raiders fans, but <laughs> you know, I do these annual or at least annual before before COVID messed up the data. These annual fan base rankings, and in a lot of years, the Raiders fan base is interesting because there's clearly a lot of intensity there. There's a lot of passion there, but if you're looking at it in terms of the the scale of the fan base, so social media following or willingness to pay. In in some ways, the Raiders fan base comes up a little bit short. And whenever the Raiders fan base did not do well in these ratings, that was that was the source of the most threatening responses. <laughs> I feel like right? they it has. Do you have to like have a criminal history to be a Raiders fan? Is that like you have to have like a resume? And you have to have been in prison at least at one point in your life in order to, to pull for the well, Raiders. 
Here's the question. Did you have to have a criminal criminal history to be an Oakland Raiders fan? And now that it's the Las Vegas Raiders, are you ineligible to be a Raiders fan if you have even a misdemeanor on your on your on your background? Yeah, the NFL, I mean, it's like a poor Oakland man. They had the Warriors and as soon as the Warriors become one of the most successful franchises in NBA history, they moved to San Francisco, which isn't that far, but it, it's just Oakland can't have anything nice. And then the beloved Oakland Raiders, which are a staple of that community, moved to Las Vegas, where it seems like there's no demand for a football team other than just for people to gamble on um, in person. And so, I don't know. It feels Disney. As, as weird as it is, Las Vegas, you typically think, is this kind of like Wild West of illegal activities and things, but it feels Disney to go into a brand new glitzy stadium for the Oakland Raiders to not be in Oakland and to just be a cash grab for a city that doesn't have those passionate fans. that doesn't have the black hole. You know, that, that's interesting because in, in some ways that's similar to my take. And I think it, it's kind of strange and, and maybe I'm getting it wrong. That Las Vegas in a way kind of builds it, it builds itself as the most degenerate city in America. But the Las Vegas Raiders actually feels very kind of clean and very kind of corporate almost. Yeah, it does feel corporate. Yeah. It, it feels like Disney bought the rights to the Oakland Raiders and is now going to make it part of their streaming platform and change everything about it to make it a mainstream product. So, you know, it almost feels like the Oakland Raiders branding is completely changing with this whole John Gruden thing too, because this is a franchise that is known for being that kind of prison yard football team. And, and now they're kind of the PC football. Yeah. Team. Okay. And, and that is so great because you know, you, when you look at what they've done, I think they're trying to restart the black hole in Las Vegas. I, I don't know how much success they've had. Well, there, um, there are plenty of degenerates to choose from in <laughs> Vegas. I am sure. Well, the, the stadium itself is, is really kind of imposing. I think they call yeah. it, they nicknamed it the Death Star. And so if you drive down the strip, I've been to Vegas once since they, they built it. It's, it's imposing, but so they got the imposing stadium. They're trying to restart the, the black hole. But somehow, and I don't know if this is a product of, you know, it's hard when you move franchise, when you move cities, but it doesn't feel that authentic to me. It doesn't feel like the Al Davis Raiders of the 1970s of kind of winning at any cost. Yeah, it, it doesn't feel authentic, and this is going to get me canceled. Um, don't, but, don't, just don't do it then. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it's it's not going to get me canceled. But I was just going to say, it, it would feel more on brand for the the franchise that used to be kind of known as the bad guys to take on John Gruden in this role as and, and just become the villains that get canceled by everybody to try to win football games. Of course, that's not going to happen in this day and age. <laughs> um, and, and rightfully so. I mean, there, there's absolutely accountability for things that are said and actions that are taken by people in authority. But can you imagine a society where John Gruden yeah. is not fired by the Raiders and rather the Oakland Raiders become the ultimate villains, not just to their opponents, but to society where, where people are anti-Raiders fans and where the Raiders attract the outcasts of society for real, the people that are canceled um, 
lot of them for good reason. And so uh, I don't know. That's not where football's going. I think everything's going to be cleaned up in the NFL. We've seen it already in the NBA and um, across sports as a whole. You know how I think you you would do it? How's that, Mike? You know, and this goes back to the whole Al Davis days. And so in some ways, you know, I portray this as, you know, a child of the 70s seeing this as the Raiders were this pirate ship. They were doing anything to win at any cost. But a different way to look at the Al Davis Raiders is everything was about redemption. And so how about if John Gruden goes away for a couple of years and, you know, he opens up a bar right? And he's got, you know, three days, Chucky's got three days of growth on his, you know, six days of growth. He's got a ponytail. And after a couple of years, the Raiders bring him back with that kind of look, uh, sort of the, the full redemption arc. I think that would be, it's not happening, Mike. I hate to break it to <laughs> and you. Again, it's, he's done. He's canceled. No, no it's not. <laughs> he is canceled. John Gruden I don't know. I mean, he might have to move off to an island. He's he's done in this society, in this day and age. The things that are said in those emails, uh, it's the unforgivable sin. Well, maybe he could move to Kansas City or something. Where do they hate the Raiders the most? Probably probably Kansas City. I don't know where they hate the Raiders the most, but I know if John Gruden were still coach, they would hate the Raiders the most everywhere um, except Oakland. But even in Oakland, I think it would be problematic. I think there would be protests going on. But let's let me say this about John Gruden. This is a little bit of a different subject. Am I the only one that's always felt like this guy is like how did he ever make it? <laughs> how was he ever successful as a coach? He's just so goofy. And I've always felt like he must have faked it till he made it. He must have he must have schmoozed his way to being a high paid NFL head coach. Okay, do you think that that's the case with almost ever? With almost every, with a lot of, <laughs> with a lot of football coaches. I mean, there's yeah. a lot of a lot of these guys are out there making, you know, five million plus a year, with some strange decision making. The strange decision making. Yeah, right? yeah, it feels like I, I I think of and frankly, you know, a lot of these guys seem to end up in the SEC. <laughs> like so, uh, it's interesting the Coach top o. level of football, and you got Coach O, you got Ed, yeah, who I don't know. You know, it's like watching the movie The Water Boy, right? Yeah. I don't know what he's saying. You've got <laughs> Mike Leach, who is, you know, just put the microphone out there for the media and he'll tell you something that you can run with every 15 minutes. Uh, Dan Mullen in Dan Florida Mullen. is spectacular. Yeah. Dan Mullen is probably my favorite one. Uh, he's so, I mean, the Darth Vader helmet on Halloween in his press conference. The guy is, he's so goofy to opposing fans, but he's good enough, like his teams are successful enough that he can win over the team that he's coaching, the the players and mostly the fans of the team that he's coaching. But going across the SEC, it's almost like every coach. I mean, the the few exceptions are obviously Nick Saban, obviously um, Kirby Smart with the success he's had recently, and Lane Kiffin is a guy that I think he used to be in that category of, of like, he must have faked it, but uh, he seems to know what he's doing offensively. Well, but Lane Kiffin is something I don't think any of us really understand. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, how many head coach... How many head coaches fail yeah. at their first, like, five stops and, and go on to be successful? And he gets another shot right. every time, and very quickly. I mean, he's what, is this his fourth or fifth I, head coaching gig? I don't know what gig it is for yeah. him, but he's one where... I think he had been written off by a lot of people after his stints at Tennessee and USC and the Raiders. And um, 
I knew he was probably undervalued when Nick Saban hired him. He has a way of, of hiring these guys that, that actually know what they're doing. Well, let's talk about Alabama. Let's move to the world of sports. Let's. Alabama losing is it's a major story. And you yep. know, the, the reaction to Alabama losing is is kind of fascinating. I, I've seen people talking that Alabama is ranked too high mm-hmm. at number five. But <laughs> yeah. but it's also really interesting because and I haven't checked the Vegas lines. I wouldn't be surprised if Alabama is still the favorite to win the national championship. Yeah, they're they're second. Second best odds. Second best so, odds. I think it's Georgia was like forty seven percent and Bama was like eighteen okay. percent. And it goes down from there with with the rest of the teams. And the deal is with Bama, uh, they were going to have to play Georgia either way. It, it's looked that way, at least for those of us that have followed the SEC. It's Georgia and Bama have been on track. It looks like both teams are going to go undefeated. And if they do, they're going to have to play in the SEC championship and then probably play again in the playoff because the loser will be one loss to the number one or number two team in the country and, and still make the playoff. And so Bama went from having to play Georgia once um, or having to beat Georgia once, whether it be in the SEC um, or, or playoff, to now they definitely have to beat them twice. They have to if they once. lose that SEC championship game, they're eliminated. They have to win that, and then they have to beat Georgia again in the playoff or in the national championship. As a Georgia fan, I'm thrilled about it, but I will never feel good about Alabama. And I think there's good reason that they have the second best odds. Their odds decrease, but but they're still better than maybe. Maybe than anyone else, right? right? And right, and I, and I think you know I, I I sort of pulled you back from this uh, a week or two ago, but I think we have now hit the point finally in the college football season where this is getting interesting, yep. right? Where this kind of speculation now kicks full in, and I, and I don't know when the first when does the first uh, I want to call it the BCS, but when does the first college football playoff ranking come out? I am because not sure. We've got some good stuff right now. Like you said, you've got Alabama ranked number five. So technically, maybe on the outside, you know, on the outside looking in with still a great shot. Yep. And you know that I love the number three ranked team in the country. At least I think they're the number <laughs> three ranked team in the country of the Cincinnati Bearcats and the likelihood that we will finally see a non-power five school in the college football playoff. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. If you if you think about Cincinnati, this is a team that led Georgia for much of the Peach Bowl last year. Um, I think some teams thought maybe Georgia's not that good. Maybe Cincinnati's not that good. Well, they beat Notre Dame this year on the road. Um, somewhat took over that stadium, by the way, which tends to happen in South Bend. And if you look at their remaining schedule, it's... UCF, Navy, Tulane, Tulsa. How is uh how is UCF these days? Um, they're not ranked. So they're I know ranked, G- Gus Malzahn's co- head coach, and they had a, a thrilling start to the season. But if they're not ranked, that means they've probably lost a couple, and they're probably not on the same level as Cincinnati. The one ranked team left is SMU. Southern Methodist is undefeated. Yes, they are <laughs> six and zero, oh, I believe. That's they, they that's play a Cincinnati great retro story toward the end of the season. So it's in Cincinnati, um, their biggest test yet. But I, I fully expect Cincinnati to make the playoff. I think they might, you know, with Georgia and the best odds to win the national championship, Cincinnati might have the best odds of making the playoff period if you look at their remaining schedule. Okay, and who is number four? Oklahoma, the Sooners. 
Wow, what a story, huh? Yeah, they're so lucky, by the way. <laughs> the winner of the NIL Derby going into the season, the preseason Heisman favorite. I don't think he's going to back on the field unless something majorly goes wrong. We'll see. Spencer Rattler did this last year where he got pulled and then he ended up being great by the end of the season or, or in the eyes of many. Mm-hmm. Oklahoma, though, is a team that has barely won all of their games. Um <laughs> <laughs> If you exclude like WCU, they beat Tulane 40 to 35, Nebraska 23 to 16, West Virginia 16 to 13, Kansas State 37 to 31, and Texas most recently 55 to 48 in a huge second half comeback in the uh, Red River rivalry. So most of these teams are not ranked that they've struggled against. Obviously, Tulane, I don't know if they've beaten anyone this year. Nebraska's not great. West Virginia's not great. Kansas State's not ranked. Texas is now number 25, I believe, um, but didn't look so hot against Arkansas. So Oklahoma has barely scraped by some bad competition. It feels inevitable that they'll lose to someone, maybe Baylor, maybe Iowa State, maybe well, Oklahoma the, State. You know, it's the, the Texas game is like a tale of two halves, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, it was, and, and so it's like Oklahoma can be the worst team in the country and flip the switch and all of a sudden be a legitimate contender a legitimate top 10 team and we saw that in the second half although i'm not sold well that was a i, I mean I, I think texas is sometimes you you know you can be wrong but sometimes it looks like the body language that texas has done after that game that was uh yeah that was a spirit killer yeah. um as you as you went through those oklahoma stories scores though i couldn't help but think i think that's about what illinois beat nebraska by <laughs> and so if only illinois what well, and this is Pure fan nonsense here. If only Illinois was in the uh, Southwestern Conference. Yeah, the um, <laughs> the Big Twelve. You mean, but yeah. So the drop off from one and five to everybody yeah. else because it still feels like Bama's. I mean, we talked about them having the second best odds. It still feels like they're right there. The drop off after that feels significant. It feels like Oklahoma's not even in the same sphere. That could change. Of course, Oklahoma could end up winning the whole thing. They could win every game by three points the whole year. Who knows? But, the, you know, we've talked about parity all season and uh doesn't seem to be much of it in college football. Well, this could be a tough year for those that want to see the college football playoff expanded. You know, could, you could easily see, you know, let's say that Alabama and Georgia both find their way in. They, and if there is as much separation as there appears to be, you could see a couple of nasty blowouts in the, in the first round games, depending on how the, or, or you could see, you could see a, a strange situation where it appears the national championship, where's the SEC championship in Atlanta again, or Birmingham, that there seems to be a national championship game version one played in Atlanta. And then version two played in the first round of the college football playoffs. And then, and, and look, and if only then there was an opportunity for there to be as they like to do in boxing and, we did have a boxing event over the weekend. The third fight, maybe they could play again. Um, if you know, let's say the Nebraska and, or sorry, the Oklahoma and Cincinnati Bearcats would uh, kind of waive their option. Yeah, but I get the sense, Mike, that you also feel that Bama is not out of things, and the media seems to think otherwise. Anytime Bama loses a regular season game, I remember when it was Ole Miss. I remember when it was Texas A and M. I remember it was South Carolina in like 2011, I think. Um, the media likes to act like, you know, is this the end of Alabama's dynasty under Nick Saban? Doug, I, let me just interrupt you for a second. 
this is SEC football. This is what they do down here. I know. <laughs> I know it's what they do, but listen, Alabama's on paper the most talented team in the country. If you look at their recruiting classes, you look at the players that they have, they have the best coach of all time and Nick Saban. Uh, and, and a coaching staff made up of a lot of former head coaches, a lot of guys that are overqualified for the positions that they're in. The pieces are there. They've just got to put it together over the second half of the season. And I fully expect them to, based on what I've seen in previous years, I fully expect them to be playing at the same level mm. as Georgia, at the same level yeah. um, or at a, um, a better level than <laughs> Oklahoma or Iowa or any of these teams by the end of the season. So I'm not counting Alabama out. And another team who we cannot count out yet is Michigan under Jim Harbaugh. They're sneaking into the top 10. They're creeping up on it undefeated so far. You know, is, it, is this the year that the Big Ten is back? And the big and by back, I, I mean not just even having a standard bearer, right, but State. having true competitiveness with mm. Iowa. I think I, well, Iowa's ranked very highly, too. They're right? number two. Um, Iowa's number two. Number two. Yep. Yeah. Iowa, Penn State, Michigan, and Ohio State. And Michigan, Michigan State, State at 10, I think. Yeah, Michigan State under Mel yeah. Tucker, another undefeated team. That's a team that was in the college football playoff, I think in its inaugural season. That has not been in the mix for a while, but Mel Tucker has them on the right track. So, let's see. It looks like half. Is that half of the top 10 is Big 10 teams? That is yeah. striking. That is significant. Um the, half of the top ten. Yeah. 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 Half of the top ten. So which has fourteen members, so it's not <laughs> Oh, the Big Ten has fourteen yeah. members. Yeah. So anyway, the the Big Ten, a lot of these teams are gonna play each other and it'll be interesting to see if they all kind of knock each other out or if there's one team that rises above. So far that team's been Iowa, obviously slipping past Penn State recently, although Penn State's had injury issues. But Michigan yeah. and Michigan State are right there, undefeated teams, very much in the mix for the college football playoff, as little as they're talked about. A lot of intriguing stories in the Big Ten right now. Well, Harbaugh's going to be a great story to watch, right? Because that has been such a that's been such a struggle. Where you know Harbaugh had tremendous. People very quickly forget how much success Harbaugh had at other places at the Stanford and in the pros, Forty Niners, yeah. But just has not been able to do it. And in this year, it looks like Michigan is going to be very competitive with Ohio State, mm -hmm. and maybe competitive nationally. Maybe so. I'll believe it when I see it with Michigan because it, it feels like almost every year they're right there. But we're halfway through the season. They're 6-0. Uh, their, their biggest tests are ahead of them. But if there ever was a year, it was this year because Ohio State certainly has looked vulnerable. They have not seemed like the giants of years past. Um, Michigan's got their chance to leapfrog Ohio State and take the hold of the Big Ten at last under Jim Harbaugh. Maybe the patience pays off. We will see. But again, at the end of the day, any team that makes it out of the Big Ten, any team that makes it out of any of these conferences into the playoff, it faces the daunting task of most well, likely. And you know what's funny about most likely Georgia and Alabama. And I don't know if this is a this is like a fan stereotype or sort of a bias, but you know, on some level, I'm going to root against you on this stuff, Doug. I'm going to root for the Big Ten. You know, it's it's sort of my my history. It's it's not going to be the Illini any year soon, though. Hopefully, right. But as a fan, and this is almost a little bit off topic, like let's say it's your Georgia Bulldogs versus my Iowa, and it's very hard for me to say my <laughs> Iowa Hawkeyes. I was going to say bandwagon. But we've, we've, 
it's like, yeah, it's like we've seen this story play out so many times that they would get to the college football championship game. We've seen it a billion times. And suddenly the Iowa players would all be a half step slow, <laughs> right? And it would be this. Uh, can I say, yeah. yeah, we've seen it a billion times with Alabama. We haven't seen it a billion times with Georgia. That's but, I, what... but I feel like we've seen that a lot from the Big Ten school coming from down from, from the cold weather north to a warm weather bowl game and just looking slow. Yeah, I mean, we've seen it, and like I said, if you go back to recruiting, it makes sense. Uh, these these teams are not playing with the same hand. Uh, Georgia and Alabama have a significantly stronger hand from a recruiting standpoint than these competitors do have. I'll say this. If I weren't a Georgia guy, you know, if I'm the objective football fan, I think Cincinnati is the team that I would be. I mean, I'm such a Cinderella guy in March Madness, and this is, you know, a non-Power 5 team that lost to Georgia. They had players standing on the field watching Georgia celebrate after that game, I remember, and just being like, man, they, these guys are competitors. They they want to get back out there. And if they were to win the whole thing, how crazy would that be for college football? At least the perception of parity in college football would change because if a team like Cincinnati can do it, why can't Michigan? Why can't Kentucky? Why can't Ole Miss? It's been said many times, and by us many times, it's the beauty of college football. Probably no one... Mm-hmm. You know, the, the NCAA basketball tournament is probably the best sort of generator of narratives within a championship tournament. But the college football season, you know, with their limited playoff and, you know, who would have thought adding the conference championships would add this other layer? But, you know, every year the, the stories are great. The drama is great. I mean, looking ahead, we've got Alabama with their you know, their, their, their destiny still in their own hands, but a tough road. We've got Georgia finally tr- trying to finally make it over the hump and win the national championship. We've got Jim Harbaugh on this, again, this redemption arc of maybe finally beating Ohio State. Iowa Hawkeyes at number two in the country. I mean, that's kind of an amazing, that's got to be an amazing story in, in, in Iowa City. Cincinnati maybe knocking on the door to be the first non-Power 5 school in the, in the playoff. Oklahoma, you can almost imagine that they now have this freshman quarterback. Are they going to revert to old? I mean, it's the stories are so compelling every every year. It's and I don't the NCAA, you know, struggles with how to design systems, right? Obviously, we've talked about that with paying the players in NIL. But their sport, their on the field product saves them every year. It does. And right now with you know, going back to where we started with John Gruden and Urban Meyer, all the negative storylines in the NFL, I start to wonder how big of a threat is college football to the NFL? Because it's so intriguing. And I'm not just talking about if I'm a fan of Georgia, if I'm a fan, I feel like the storylines as a whole are very enticing. And that I don't know if the NFL is matching that right now. It certainly doesn't match the passion with the fan bases as a whole. And of course, there are the passionate fan bases. I always think of the Buffalo Bills um, and, and Bills Mafia. But college football, it's just like every game. I mean, you saw last week Texas A&M, the, the wife of the kicker, you know, crying and sobbing after he hit the kick and then running on the field to, with everyone else to meet him. And you just can't beat it. And, I, you know, I start to wonder, does the NFL feel threatened? Do they feel like... They're taking our product from us. They're going to take our fans. Uh, I think 100% fans are more passionate, right? That is the beauty of college sports. I mean, you are a Georgia graduate. 
that's different than just, you know, you grew up in Atlanta and you root for the Falcons. You're a Georgia graduate. You're part of that community. You're part of that community forever. Uh, so I, I think you're right that the fan, the fan bases in college are more intense. They're more loyal. They're more passionate about the, uh, about the teams. My, my, my response to where you're going with that is that, and look, I, I don't know that either of these leagues deserves sort of credit for what I'm about to say, but it might be just the perfect sports system where there's so much passion about college football and these built-in fan bases that genuinely love, you know, again, it's the Bulldog Nation, it's the Illini Nation. There is genuine love and affection and identity and community. And these players then feed into the feed into the pros. One of the things that I've always been struck by since I've come down to Atlanta and met a lot of Georgia Bulldog fans is how much passion you guys have for your former players, right? That you guys all, you know, still root passionately. I almost imagine a, a fantasy football draft down here is an easy thing to win, right? As these guys are all fighting to, to, yeah. Every UGA person is trying to draft Nick Chubb, right? Ignoring any of the rankings that, but, but look, that's a beautiful, that's a beautiful part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone's biased in the fantasy draft. And I, I, for one, absolutely am more likely to tune into a game. If a former Georgia guy is playing, I know a lot of Alabama fans are the same way. I mean, just about every NFL team has an Alabama player or a Georgia player. So we're both for that matter. So, you know, maybe it is the perfect system, but I feel like, there's such positivity around college football that's lacking in the NFL. I feel like the NFL, every big story is kneeling for the national anthem or, you know, this coach did this off the field or this was said behind closed doors. College football, like I said, it's it's the wife of the kicker. It's the upset. It's the walk-on quarterback starting for the number one team in the country. It's the underdog Cincinnati. It's just all, it feels like a movie. Every single team story feels like a movie. And and, well, and I wonder if it's a threat let, to the NFL. Let me put a little perspective on this because I've gotten calls, you know, talked to the media about a lot of issues that have confronted the NFL over the over the years. And on a personal level, I used to say, I used to respond that, you know, the NFL seems to be like a Teflon league. That, and this is like going back to, let's say six, seven years ago when the big stories were domestic violence and concussions and it, it, nothing seems to affect the league, right? It, it's a, it, there's a Ray Rice assault in an elevator and the concussion scandal is blowing up big and the fans keep coming. Then, you know, we had the, the Colin Kaepernick kneeling during the anthem and sort of the full-on, now this all feels politicized and it feels like a protest. And I think that did, that, that may have done some, some longer-term damage to the NFL brand. You know, the, the politics is so hard to, to disentangle from, from fandom, right? Because there's so much passion about both of those things. So I think that's a long-term weakness. But, you know, controversies, the NFL just always seems to struggle you know, just shrug them off. Um, the, the other one that, you know, I, I think the NFL has two things going for it. And I, I find myself thinking about this stuff a lot. Number one, the fact that it still has major event status, mm. right? It's still something that people can come together and watch on Sunday. And number two, the gambling, 
Yeah, that and fantasy football. It, well, and I put fantasy into the gambling, and right. I think that is more powerful than most people realize. Yeah, it's like every other person I know besides myself is in at least one fantasy dra- one fantasy football league with a lot of people in multiple fantasy football leagues, mm-hmm. and that means that the NFL is relevant to them every week, and not just every week, every game. I mean, most fantasy owners will have a player in just about every game or a player that you're playing against in just about every game. So any game that's on television is relevant and worth tuning into and worth keeping an eye on. That's the beauty of fantasy football for the NFL. And I absolutely think that, you know, as great as the players are across that league and and all the rest, I almost feel like fantasy football is what's kept the NFL so dominant in these years and, and the reason why it's been so resilient. With that said, I feel like college sports are more resilient because the fan base is are so attached you see this all the time when there's like a huge scandal like penn state or baylor how those how those schools bounce back how those fans don't walk away and with the nfl like i know family that's you know fans or were fans of the washington football team that no longer watch the games it's not out of protest they just have kind of lost interest they felt like it was kind of political it feels kind of manufactured it feels like it's not the same team they have different logos uh, I know people that stopped watching because of the kneeling for the national anthem or for or on the flip side because, you know, this player did this behind closed doors or did this illegally and is still allowed to play. He beat a woman. And he's still I, getting to play I, I and make millions of dollars. Point. And it's, yeah. you know, it's one of these things that we will continue to watch play out. Now, of course, I think, you know, as we come out of COVID, the football system is definitely the standard bearer for American sports, right? I mean, this, this has been the most resilient. The ratings are the... The ratings are the strongest. The fans came back the, the quickest. Uh, both of them, it is going to be a matter of, you know, because I think college football, unionization of players, NIL, paying these guys. There's challenges everywhere. But, look, if I'm putting money on one system of sport to endure, it's the football system, without, without question. That's where Americans' passions are. So I agree, especially from a, a fandom standpoint. I think that's where fans are right now. And that's where our attention is every fall, football season, every off season. We're just looking ahead to football season. But that said, my concern long-term for the NFL and for college football, just football as a whole as a sport, is the concussions issue. Because while it hasn't been a huge talking point recently, it hasn't been in the news, is very much, very much an issue, very much something that will be addressed at some point. There will continue to be findings that are damaging and, and that you know cause parents to not want their kids to play football. And honestly, it's going to affect the so NFL. Let me make a comment about that, and then I don't even really want you to respond because it's, it's a little bit uh, – it almost takes us in a bad direction. But I, I do – Okay. the concussion issue has definitely harmed youth participation in football. But I suspect that it's really changed participation levels on a – racial group by racial group basis and so i i suspect that one of the things that will happen going forward is that the the composition of the talent pool is going to change now look I, i'm just offering this out there as almost a neutral s- statement but you know the the amazing polarization of this country and the relentless pressure on all things race that has got to be sort of something that's out there in space. And let's just leave that there. The other major sports story, Doug, and actually my first question is, do you view it as a major sports story? 
is we had Tyson Wilder, which actually would have been a great name, Tyson Wilder. <laughs> but we had fight number three in the heavyweight division. Typically, yeah. the th- it's always the three-fight sequence. Is that on your radar? Mike, I'm not going to lie. When you started that, that whole sentence, I thought you were going to talk about MLB. <laughs> I thought you were going baseball because it's October, <laughs> and uh, we, <laughs> we haven't really touched on that. But no, to answer your question, Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury fight not on my radar. Well, let, let's, let, let's, 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 let's connect that because I do think American sports used to be the World Series and a heavyweight fight were probably the two biggest things could, that could happen. So fair, fair point with the World Series just a couple of weeks away. Yeah, and for whatever reason, uh, consumers have changed, and sports have changed, and the media has changed, and well, and, you know, and, and, I don't know. So Tyson Fury won the fight, uh, making him, and it's it's actually even hard to figure out these days. I, I don't know if he's the undisputed champion. There's so many belts and so many federations at this point, and I don't I don't actually have a lot to say about the the fight as as well. The first fight in the series, I believe, was a draw. Fury won the second fight and Fury won the third fight. It's almost more a reflection of where boxing has gone as a sport, right? Boxing was historically maybe the biggest spectacle that has now really faded. And part of, you you, you know where I'm, you can probably guess where I'm going to go with this. How much of the, the diminished interest in a heavyweight championship fight, a legitimate heavyweight championship fight, is due to the fact that so much attention of the boxing world has now moved to a couple of YouTubers. <laughs> your fit, your favorite topic, by the way. But I think you raise a fair point. I think that so much of the attention has been drawn to these amateur boxers. Um, that the people my age are, are, if you ask them to name three boxers, two of them would be the Paul brothers. <laughs> I mean, for real, they they wouldn't know who Tyson Fury is or Deontay Wilder, but they definitely know Logan and Jake Paul. So I think for a sport to, for so much of its resources to be going toward promoting these amateur fights, I think it does take away from the the real professionals. Yep. Fully agreed. Okay, so Doug, uh, I think we're getting close to the end. Anything else that you want to talk about? Well, I touched on this a moment ago, but it's curious to me that (laughs) It's October. This is the height of baseball season. This is the Super Bowl of baseball. And it's not in the list of the top five things that we talk about when we're talking about sports. And, it, it, you know, I feel like that's a microcosm of, of sports as a whole. I know that's just me and you, but baseball's not getting the coverage that it used to get. I feel like football, I know everything about every team. I hear about it all the time. Everyone's always talking about it. It's kind of the water cooler discussion. Baseball, when I talk to Braves fans, yeah. And when I talk to Red Sox fans, sure. Or Dodgers fans, yeah. But the the casual sports fan doesn't follow baseball at near the level they used to. And it has me asking, what exactly happened to baseball? Yeah, that's that's a good question. And, and it really does give me pause and make me think a little bit, right? It's And, and what was going through my mind is that, you know what? Look, you and I both focus on sports a lot, but you know the way you focus on a topic is sort of one subtopic at a time. And so, you know, look, we were talking about college football, and you know, 
very quickly, you name off some really compelling stories that are happening. Jim Harbaugh, Cincinnati, Nick Saban. None of which are my school, by the way. None of which are my yeah. team. And and we could go to the we could go to the pros and mm-hmm. the pageantry of every Sunday and uh, the Chiefs are faltering and you know Justin Fields is struggling a little bit, right? But he's actually but he's playing now, right? And so Aaron Rodgers is is unstoppable. Ben Roethlisberger, you know, returned to youth for a moment and and and, and won a game. Tom Brady was maybe the best quarterback out there last last weekend. The media loves Dak Prescott, right? And so it's like story after story and narrative after narrative. And it, so it's almost like football has found ways. And let's the, the NBA's on the horizon and Kyrie Irving sucking up media attention. The the heavyweight championship. And you know, so it's not just it's like, like this is football, you know talking with my hands on a audio podcast. The the pro football, this is college football, this is boxing. Each of these has like 8 or 9 or 10 different subplots. And so by the time you get to baseball, it's not that you've gone through three sports or four sports, it's that somehow you've now gone through 25 different narratives and stories before you get to baseball. And baseball has got to figure out a way to fix that. Absolutely. And and I think baseball I mean, Major League Baseball has got to be, they've got to be thinking and and seeing the same things and looking for solutions. I think one of the big problems is that while these other sports and kind of our influencer world um, have become like, you've always talked about the NFL being so quarterback centric and the NBA is so star driven, baseball's had a hard time creating those stars that have that mass appeal, in my opinion. And I think that's why we're not talking about baseball every week. I agree 100%. And um, I will. Let's make a commitment to, as they used to say uh, on ESPN, let's make a commitment to effort to find our way into some baseball stories and narratives for next week. <laughs> See, I can make that promise. I can say I'm going to do that, and it'll totally slip my mind. There will be so many stories in football <laughs> and uh, NBA coming up and all, okay. all this other stuff. That and But you know what? And that's your, in some ways, Doug, that's, that's your role in this. You are, you are the, you know, I'm the... I'm the academic that studies fandom in painful detail, painful academic detail. You are the organic fan that is just reacting naturally, and I think that's the that, that's how we're looking at the world. Okay, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna ask you what's on your radar because I know that the battle for the SEC East is in play. It is a undefeated Georgia team versus a. And again, who knows? Last time Kentucky was undefeated this late in the season, Georgia versus Kentucky. Any, I, I know you got to talk about this. So, let, let, so what are you thinking? Well, first off, my entire family is going to this game, and I will not make it. So, <laughs> I am, uh, I'm dealing with that over here. And my brother, he's taking his fiance, who is from Virginia, has never been to an SEC football game before, to this to be her first one. When they scheduled it, we thought it would just be your average Georgia-Kentucky game. Turns out it's two undefeated teams fighting for the SEC East crown, most likely. Um, So she's in for a treat. She's going to be shell-shocked, I'm sure. They're trying to convert her to become a Georgia fan, my parents and my brother. And I feel pretty confident that that by the end of the day, she's going to be a dog. 
uh, which is which is exciting. Absolutely. Doug, can you get a report back from her, her initial <laughs> reactions? Because I, I, I suspect it is going to be a dramatic yeah. awakening for her to see what big-time SEC football looks and feels like. Yeah, I think just the culture, and uh, I think it'll be culture shock. That I think it's the best word for it. So looking forward to hearing about that. But on the field, Kentucky's a, a really interesting story. But to me, you know, we saw it earlier with Ole Miss. We saw it with Arkansas going into the Georgia game. These teams that don't have the same level of talent uh, from a recruiting standpoint go into these games and everyone starts talking about them. And I don't think it's a fair fight. I don't think it's a fair fight. I think I would say the same thing if I was being objective, like if I weren't, if I hadn't gone to Georgia, that I would say the same thing. Um, I think that Georgia and Alabama overwhelm teams with their talent. I think that you know, Texas A&M might be the outlier game, but even Texas A&M has recruited on par or, or in a competitive way with Alabama, Georgia. They've had those top five recruiting classes under Jimbo Fisher quietly, but it, it finally started to show on Saturday. Kentucky has not, and teams like that historically have, have really struggled against teams like Georgia and Alabama. So I'm taking the dogs um, somewhat comfortably. I'm just not worried. Normally I'm worried about these games, and I'm just not. And, and to me, I think that's telling the impressive thing about Georgia is that they've been doing what they've done. They've been dominating at the rate that they have without the six projected leading receivers and their starting quarterback and a number of starters, an All-American on defense and Tyke Smith. I mean, it is really impressive, the depth. And, and this is where you know it goes to show recruiting is, is what it's all about in college football. Georgia and Alabama have out-recruited everyone. And that's why I think they're the big dogs in, in in college football right now. Why I don't even even in come playoff time, I have a hard time imagining Iowa being competitive. Um, I think Oklahoma's pr- pretty good recruiting, and, and on any given day can play at that level. But this year's Oklahoma team has not been impressive to me, and I don't expect them to be competitive either. It's maybe thirty future pros on Georgia playing against three or four future pros at Kentucky. Exactly. Okay, everyone. I want to thank everyone for listening. And as always, much more content at www.fanalytics. Sorry, at fandomanalytics.com, including a lot more results, including more results from, and these results are going to keep coming from our next generation fandom survey. There's a lot of great stuff out there related to differences across generations. And later in the week, There should be some more stuff looking at differences across the political spectrum. Fun stuff. Till next week.